Hey, welcome to the Recruiting Trail. I'm your host, Andrew Nimick of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. It is the traditional signing period, now known as the late signing period. It kicks off this week on Wednesday. We've got a lot to get to, but first... We have to talk about Oregon's big week on the recruiting trail just this past week, landing Byron Cardwell, the number eight running back in the country, the number one running back in the West region, and Grayson Halton, the number 11 defensive end in the country for the class of 2022. Both of these kids carry extra value. Now, you land the number eight running back in the nation, you feel good about it. You land the number 11 defensive end in the nation, you feel really good about it. But they carry extra value because of what they bring out of the West region. The West region in the class of 2021, historically down at running back. Unbelievably down at running back. The West Coast and the West region specifically, traditionally does a great job producing skill position guys and producing running backs. We've seen a number of great running backs, including Bijan Robinson and Najee Harris in the last couple of years, come out of the West region. Now they went somewhere else, Bijan Robinson to Texas and Najee Harris obviously to Alabama. But We have seen great running backs come out of the Pac-12 footprint. That is not necessarily the case this year. There were not a lot of good running backs. So for Oregon to offer Byron Cardwell in late November and to be able to land his commitment in January is incredibly, incredibly impressive. If Oregon doesn't get him, they probably strike out at running back in this class. I know they have Seven McGee, who I really like. Seven McGee is a 5'8", 190-pound, kind of a hybrid running back slot receiver, similar similar to DeAnthony Thomas, not a a, 20-carry-a-game back. He's not that guy. Byron Cardwell not only could be that guy, but could be that guy at a high level. And if you consistently get a Byron Cardwell every recruiting class, not that you would, but if you could, you would have a very, very, very good running back room. Byron Cardwell's got a chance to be flat-out special. He missed his senior season, obviously, because there hasn't been a senior season in the state of California yet. The San Diego back did not get a chance to shine uh, in his high school senior year, but was special, flat-out special. The last time people got a chance to see him, he went to an Under Armour camp in Los Angeles with quarterbacks and wide receivers and offensive linemen and defensive linemen and the best talent in the state of California. And Byron Cardwell wasn't the best running back in the camp. I mean, he was, but he wasn't just the best running back in the camp. He was named the best player in the camp, the MVP of the camp. If he'd had a big senior season, he would have had a chance to be one of the best three, four, five running backs in the country. A monster, monster get. I had a chance to talk to him this week. He is signing on Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon is his plan. Do not panic if Oregon doesn't announce his signing until later. Now, he may sign early and Oregon announces it And then he has his ceremony, and that's happened before, that they formally sign and they have a ceremony for family and friends. But if he waits until truly his ceremony, his ceremony is not until 2.30 p.m. on Wednesday. So if his signing doesn't come in right away, don't panic. That is his plan to sign in the afternoon in terms of the ceremony. Again, he may send that in much earlier in Oregon, gets it out of the way, and then he does the ceremony later for family and friends. That really means nothing. It's already signed, sealed, delivered. But if he chooses to wait, again... Don't 
panic. Byron Cardwell, a big time get for the University of Oregon. And then, of course, two days later, they land Grayson Halt in the number 11 defensive end in the country. I've talked about this. If you listen to my radio show, if you've listened to the podcast, you know offensive line and defensive line talent in the West region is just flat out scarce. Greg Biggins said a couple years ago on the recruiting show that there are years where the number three offensive tackle on the West Coast would be the number 30 offensive tackle in the South. That's how big the gap is. So you either need to get numbers one and two at offensive tackle and defensive tackle to compete nationally, which Oregon actually did this year. They landed the number one and number two offensive tackles in the West region. You either need to do that or you need to go national. In the class of 2022, there are not a lot of great defensive linemen. I think in the updated 24-7 sports rankings, the last 24-7 sports rankings I saw for the class of 2022, there are only two defensive ends in the entire top 32 defensive ends in the country that are from the West region. Only two. And both of them are in the top 11. I think the number one guy is from the West and then the number 11 guy, Grayson Halton. So if you don't get Grayson Halton, the drop to the next best, the third best guy in the Pac-12 footprint is something like the 33rd best defensive end in the country. So you need to do well with the top offensive and defensive linemen in the West region if you want to compete nationally or else... You're going to have to go to an Alabama, to a South Carolina, to a Florida, to a Mississippi, and steal them from the heart of SEC country. So for Oregon to get the commitment from Grayson Halton and not have to worry about it is huge. Not only that, but Grayson is close with Byron Cardwell. So the chances that he flips are not very good. They're high school teammates. They're buddies. They want to play together. It helps. Frankly, Grayson was in the mix quicker than Byron. Byron waited till the very, very end. He said up until the last couple hours, he wasn't 100% sure that he was going to go to Oregon, but that Oregon was the leader going into that last day. Grayson Halton's known for a while he's going to be a duck. It's a monster get in the class of 2022. He's currently the headliner. He won't end up that way, but he is the best defensive line commitment since Kayvon Thibodeau in the class of 2019. Obviously the drop from Kayvon Thibodeau, the number one overall recruit in the country, and Grayson Halton, the number 11 defensive end in the country, is fairly steep. There's a gap there. That being said, he still is the best defensive lineman they've gotten in the last couple years. It's a very nice get. Oregon celebrates Keanu Williams in the class of 2021, thinks that's a great get, one of the top three or four interior or versatile defensive linemen he might play on the outside in a 3-4 system, depending on what Tim DeRuiter decides to run at Oregon. They get him, and they feel great about him. Grayson Halton is 100 spots higher in the national rankings. I can only imagine what the Oregon staff feels about getting Grayson Halton. I'm sure they are absolutely, absolutely thrilled with that commitment. So those two went down in the last week. What is left for Oregon? The early signing period, Oregon signed the best class in program history, and it was kind of ho-hum. It was kind of clinical. Oregon entered, entered the signing period with 21 verbal commitments. By the end of the early signing period, they had 21 signatures. No new additions, no departures. An Oregon fan was like, well, signing day wasn't that exciting. Because most of those signatures, except for Jonathan Flo, the four-star linebacker who committed just days before the early signing period, the other 20 guys in that class signed, I think, before noon. It was just done. Easy. And everybody thought, well, gosh, this is going to be a really tough year. Kids can't take visits. Kids are going to be flipping like crazy. There's going to be decommitments galore. Not for Oregon. Really easy. 
easy, easy work. Number one class in the country. Not that putting the class together was easy, but in terms of getting them officially signed, sealed, and delivered. Very, very easy. And not just that, but of the guys that were really interested in Oregon, there were probably 21 guys who went into that week with Oregon as their leader. And Oregon signed 21 of them. It's a pretty good hit rate. And I said after that signing period, Oregon's not the leader for anybody right now. But if you give, and not a clear-cut leader, I should say, for anybody right now, because I think Oregon was starting to make a real move with Cardwell by that point, but it wasn't a slam dunk. And we get into the late signing period and you say, okay, Oregon's not the leader for anybody significant right now. But if you give Mario and his staff six weeks and they can focus on three or four names, they can make up a lot of ground. And we've seen that. They've gotten Byron Cardwell. Another name to watch this week, Avante Dickerson. Avante Dickerson is committing, I believe it's 6.50 a.m. Set your alarms. Uh, on the 24-7 National Signing Day show, 6.50 a.m. for Avante Dickerson, the number eight corner in the nation. He's from Nebraska. He recently decommitted from Minnesota. He was Minnesota's headliner. They were thrilled. Avante Dickerson, we've got him in the fold, one of the best corners in program history. He decommits. And now it looks like it's a battle between Oregon and Nebraska. He's from the state of Nebraska. Can Oregon pull it off? I'm saying, not emphatically, but I'm saying yes. Oregon, I believe, gets Avante Dickerson, the number eight corner in the nation. He's not the prototypical Oregon corner, but he's a very, very good corner. He's one of the top 150 players in the nation. And if you hit the late signing period, if you enter the late signing period after the early signing period with the best class in program history, 21 players committed, 21 players signed. And you go, well, we'll see what the icing on the cake is going to be for us because we don't necessarily have a clear path to any new commitment. If that's what you're thinking is Mario Cristobal and you end up with Byron Cardwell, the number eight running back in the nation and Avante Dickerson, the number eight corner in the nation, two needs, two real needs coming into the late signing period, you hit an absolute home run already. In terms of points, not in terms of national ranking where teams can leapfrog Oregon, just in terms of pure recruiting points in a class. That 21 that they got in the early signing period already had more points than any class in Oregon history. Just if it ended right then and there at 21, best class in program history. And on top of it, on top of that, you add the number one running back in the West region and the number eight corner in the nation, which I feel very, very confident they're going to do. Cardwell's already committed. He told me he's signing Wednesday, so check. And Dickerson's down to Oregon and Nebraska, and I'm telling you, it's looking very, very, very strongly like Oregon. Doesn't guarantee it, but very, very likely. That's an awesome, awesome job. Not only that, but at 8.30 a.m. on Wednesday's signing day, Oregon also will learn their fate with Rajon Davis. And that really is the dream scenario. If you're Oregon and you're saying, if you're, or you're an Oregon fan and you're saying, what should I look for as the dream scenario? What is the best possible outcome for this day? What is, what is the dream? What do I leave going, wow, everything worked perfect. Cardwell signs as expected. Avante Dickerson picks Oregon. I think that's your baseline. I think that's the expected outcome. The bonus, the dream scenario, is somehow pulling off the commitment of Rajon Davis. Number four outside linebacker in the nation, a top 50 recruit in the country, according to 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings. He has, I think, five or six predictions on 24-7 Sports and their crystal ball predictions. All five or six, 100% of the predictions, are USC. He recently visited Ohio State. He's already visited Oregon, and it's not over. I think USC is the is the prohibitive favorite right now. I think that's probably where most people think he's headed. I think that anything other than that would be a mild surprise. 
And I would say there's probably a 75% chance he picks USC. I think there's a 25% chance he picks either Ohio State or Oregon. It's going to be tough. Oregon has the modern day connections and Oregon's coaching staff, uh, according to Rajon, quite close with uh, members of his family. So it'll be interesting to see if Oregon can kind of work those family connections, work the modern day connections. They've recruited Rajon throughout. Even when he was committed to LSU, Oregon never gave up on Rajon Davis. According to him, Oregon tried to stay in the mix for a long time, as did USC, as did Ohio State. I think a lot of people felt like LSU was not necessarily a guarantee for him, even when he was a verbal commitment. So that's your dream scenario. There's one other huge, 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 huge name out there, and it's JT Tuomalau, the number one recruit in the country. And it's recently been reported. I think the Seattle Times was first. 24-7 sports uh, nationally may have had them. But JT Tuomalau is saying he may wait until April or May before he makes a decision. As of right now, Oregon is among his finalists. But as I've said for several weeks, Ohio State has been his leader for a long time, and Alabama is the team right now that seems to be closing. As long as Oregon's in it for somebody, they've got a shot. And they do a great job, and I think Tim DeRuiter, as the new defensive coordinator, a hire we will get to a little later in the show, I think that helps Oregon. I don't think it's a major, major needle move. I don't think it did enough for Oregon to necessarily leapfrog, even though I think he's a great hire. I don't think it was a flashy enough hire to JT to necessarily say, well, Oregon's number one now. I think it's going to be Ohio State or Alabama for him, but Oregon's in the mix. And even if you go two of three with your announcements during the late signing period on Wednesday, you still feel really, really good about it. There are going to be more fireworks on Wednesday than there were during the early signing period in February, and in the early signing period in February, Oregon signed 21 guys. They may only sign two on Wednesday. Cardwell, we already know he's signing. And then possibly and likely Dickerson. Two. And Oregon fans might leave that more excited about the day than they did during the early signing period. It tells you how wild recruiting has gotten that fans kind of go, okay, but what do you have for me lately? Speaking of what we have for you lately, even if it's not a new commitment, 24-7 Sports updated their recruiting rankings recently, their final rankings. If you've read my work, I've talked about it on the radio, I believe I've talked about it on this show as well. Every year, right before the late signing period, 24-7 Sports has made it a rule that they drop their five-star ratings down to 32. The top 32 kids in the country earn a fifth star. And the reason is there are 32 first-round picks in the NFL draft. So when Kingsley was sitting inside the top 32, I was saying he will be a five-star. People were like, you can't guarantee that. Well, I mean, barring a massive drop in his ranking, barring a drop in his ranking, I actually kind of can because this is the way it works. It's the same thing with women's basketball. On ESPN's recruiting rankings, they give 54. Oh, now I'm going to forget the name to see. It's either 54 or 55. Uh, Female athletes every year are given... Five stars. They become five-star talent. So Oregon last year had five commitments that were all in the top 50. So I said, well, they're eventually, when their final rankings come in right before the late signing period, those are going to be five five-star prospects. People were like, well, there's only two five-stars and three four-stars. You can't guarantee that. It's like, well, this is how this works. They just kind of, uh, right before the last signing period, the last update is kind of a drop down and say, okay, we're ready to make it official. These are the rest of our five-stars. 
So Kingsley was always that guy. So Kingsley is a five-star on Rivals. He's a five-star on 24-7 Sports. Don't tell that to ESPN. I believe they don't have him in their top 60 recruits in the country. And if you're still using ESPN rankings to figure out how kids are rated, you're doing it wrong. Not only have they let go of a ton of people and some of their very, very best people, but they were behind anyway. I mean, this is this is brutal. ESPN recruiting rankings are silly billy. I mean, just don't don't, don't waste your time. Uh, pay attention to rivals. Pay attention to 24-7 sports. And until ESPN uh, really tries to work on their recruiting with football, uh, they can pretty well be ignored. Uh, they do a good job with basketball. They do a really nice job, frankly, with basketball recruiting rankings. And I would still put them up there with rivals in 24-7 sports in terms of basketball. In terms of football, they just gutted their staff. And I, I just don't think it makes a ton of sense to pay attention to ESPN, especially when it's a guy like Kingsley, who both rivals in 24-7 say, this kid's a five-star, and, and ESPN goes, mm, but is he even a high four-star? You go, what are you guys watching? What are you watching that everybody else isn't? Because he's risen in rivals, he's risen in 24-7 sports, and ESPN goes, mm, haven't seen anything. Drives me nuts, drives me nuts. And people cite ESPN all the time, they'll come back, at me and be like, I don't, you said this kid's a five-star, but he's only a four-star on ESPN. I was like, don't pay attention to ESPN. The other uh, update that surprised some Oregon fans was Ty Thompson. Ty Thompson is the number nine recruit in the nation in rivals. In 24-7's updated rankings, everyone thought he might make a jump, and I believe he stayed at number 80. He might be 81. He's in the 80s. He's in the high 80s, low 80s, depending on how you want to say that, 80, 81, right in that range in the 24-7 rankings. In the composite rankings, he's higher. And the reason is the composite rankings are an average of 24-7 rivals and ESPN. So those three together, averaged out, gives you a number. And then you compare that number to everybody else in the country, and that's where you stack. So he's he's in the middle uh, according to that. And the reason is obviously you're averaging out 24-7 and rivals, and you end up in the 40s. I think Ty is much better than the 80th prospect in the country. I I have ridden with him for a long time. Even before he committed to Oregon, I said, this guy is an absolute monster purposely. And this is a little hint. I've talked about this before as well. If I don't put his ranking, a kid's ranking in their commitment story, it's because I think it's going to change a ton. If I say, you know, like Grayson Hall, nation's number 11 defensive end commits to Oregon. That's because I, you know, he generally grades out at that player. That's probably the player he's going to be. He might go up or down a little bit, but not overwhelmingly. And the reason is those commitment stories kind of linger. They have a tendency to be looked at, and, and our numbers show that at Oregon Live. They have a tendency to live on. At the time of Ty Thompson's commitment, he was a lowish four-star, and he was something like the number 8, 9, 10, 11 dual threat quarterback in the country, according to rivals and pro style quarterback in the country, according to 24 seven sports. And I just wrote Ty Thompson, elite quarterback chooses Oregon. And the reason is I expected his ranking to go way up because it looked like it on film. He's a character guy. He's a hard worker. Everything about him, he's toolsy. Everything about him spoke to him becoming an elite prospect in this class. And sure enough, he has risen way up the list. 24 seven sports named him the alpha dog of the elite 11 camp. The elite 11 camp is the quarterback camp for high school quarterbacks in the entire country. If you want to be the star in, in high school football in America and you want to prove it and you're a quarterback, go perform well at Elite 11. It will dramatically change what people think about you. It is the camp because it's the top 18 to 20 kids in the country every year go and compete. 
and then the top 11 are named, and that's your elite 11 quarterbacks, high school quarterbacks in America. Trevor Lawrence was there, Tua Tungo-Vailoa was there. The elite quarterbacks, Justin Fields, the elite quarterbacks every year go to that camp. And it's really, really been the case the last six, seven years. Prior to that, it was kind of a mixed bag, about half of the nation's best quarterback go. Now it's like a rite of passage. You're, you're one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, you're going to be at Elite 11. He was the alpha dog. He was the top performer, according to 24-7 Sports. He was a top three performer, according to the final Elite 11 rankings, that were based 50% on junior film. Everyone, everyone who, whether they love Ty Thompson or don't love Ty Thompson, said, junior film looks good, he's got all the tools in the world, but he's not real polished. Sports Illustrated did a ranking of the top quarterbacks coming in based on junior film, saying, like, this is probably roughly where they line up going in. The guy that won it, Caleb Williams, was number one. Ty Thompson wasn't in the top ten. So for Ty Thompson going into the last day to be neck and neck with Caleb Williams means he flat out outperformed him for the first few days of the camp. It's a multi-day camp. 80, stretch. 80, nationally, disagree. Hard disagree. And I know you can't do it this way. You cannot do a dra- say, if it were a draft, if every team in order, and there are way too many teams to ever do this, it would take it would take months to even get the draft done. But if you did every college football team in America or every Power 5 conference team in America, and they went down the list, Alabama gets the first pick because they're, you know, the number one program in the nation or whatever. Clemson's number two, Ohio State's number three, and you went down the list. There is no way in the world, there is no way on God's green earth that Ty Thompson lasts till 80. None. Zero chance. Quarterbacks are more valuable in college football, so that's kind of not fair because they're in, you know, in a vacuum in terms of ranking. There's probably the number one middle linebacker in the country, the number one safety in the country, are usually better than the number 14, 15, 16 quarterback in the country. And still in a draft like that, you would take the number 14, 15, or 16 quarterback in the country over the number one safety because it's a draft and in college football you have to have a good quarterback. But that being said, Ty Thompson is considered the number two dual threat quarterback in the nation on rivals. He's the number nine player in the nation on rivals. And if you did a draft of the top high school football players to play college football, Ty Thompson much more likely goes nine than 80. I think he's unquestionably one of the top 35 kids in, this, in the country this year. And I think tools-wise, he's got a chance to be one, two, or three by the end of things. So I know Oregon fan was discouraged. I understand being discouraged. At the same time, all that really matters is how they perform on the field. Except that Ty Thompson's a five-star on Rivals, a high four-star on 24-7 sports, and that he's going to be very good in Eugene. That's all that really matters, even though it is frustrating to see him at 80 in the 24-7 sports rankings. Oregon recently makes a higher at defensive coordinator Tim DeRuiter. An absolute home run. I, You know I trust my eyes to some extent, and then I trust the analytics people with coaching hires. And I think Dave Bartu does a phenomenal job. And Tim DeRuiter was his guy. Tim DeRuiter is the guy. He, he goes on Canzano's show on 750 and says, that's the guy Oregon should hire. That's who I would interview. That's who I would hire. And Oregon hires him. I don't know if they listen to Dave Bartu or not, but I trust that he knows what he's talking about. And I also trust that he knows what he's talking about when it's negative. And his thoughts on Washington's hires at offensive and defensive coordinator, it, he just flat out is unimpressed. Bartu tweeted today that uh, Washington's offensive and defensive coordinator, if you were grading them in the Pac-12, would be bottom three in the entire Pac-12. 
That is brutal. That is brutal. And what I have always said about young coaches, young head coaches, doesn't matter age really, it's about how much experience you have as a head coach, is I yes, you can do really well with your first couple hires. A lot of guys can have that kind of lined up before they become head coach. I want to see what you do when you have to replace an offensive or a defensive coordinator. That tells me how good you are as a head coach. Because when you're a new head coach, it's possible you don't have a huge, huge coaching tree. You know, you get guys like Nick Saban, they have to do some pruning. They have so many branches on their coaching tree. It's like, oh, I don't want to claim him anymore. I could bring him in if I wanted to, but no thanks. And you get these young coaches, they don't have very many branches. They lose an offensive coordinator and they don't have many options of guys who want to go under them who are qualified. Mario Cristobal has done a phenomenal job time and time again at replacing guys. And not only that, but upgrading. Andy Avalos to me was one of the best defensive coordinator hires uh, a couple years ago that there was in all of college football. And if you'd have told me he's leaving, I'd have gone, man, that's a problem. He's a good coach. He's a good up and coming coach. And to get DeRuiter, it's an upgrade. That's hard to do. Now, I, I've been very clear that I was not a big Marcus Arroyo fan. I think Marcus Arroyo is one of the worst offensive coordinators in college football his last year at Oregon in terms of Power 5 programs. I don't think he had an identity. I don't think the team had an identity. And I think it wasn't until, my guess, it wasn't until someone stepped in and said, okay, you have to let Justin run. This is embarrassing before he did it. And then Justin took over and helped lead Oregon to a Rose Bowl title. Mostly, not mostly, uh, certainly with using his legs in the Pac-12 title game and in the Rose Bowl as, as a major weapon. I don't necessarily think it was Arroyo's stroke of genius who said, let's not use this tool that would be valuable until the last two games of his career. I just think Arroyo didn't use it. So to bring in Joe Moorhead and to bring in Coach DeRuiter is is a real sign that Mario knows what he's doing. And to bring in Avalos before that. When somebody takes your primary offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator hires, what do you do when you pivot? That tells you pretty much how successful a coach is going to be. Take a look at Gary Anderson at Oregon State. I know he wasn't his offensive coordinator, but Brent Brennan was his wide receiver coach and hope he was hoping would be his major recruiter in California. He leaves for the head coaching job at San Jose State. Kalani Sataki, his defensive coordinator, kind of the 1B to Gary Anderson's 1A. He jumps to BYU. BYU has quite a bit of success under Sataki. Gary Anderson doesn't really know how to replace those guys. Again, he's not age-wise a young head coach, but in terms of experience, he is a fairly young head coach. He didn't have a ton of high level success in coaching and he didn't know what to do. And he quit and left money on the table because he went, I made a mess trying to replace these hires. I made a disaster of trying to replace guys on my staff. I didn't have the branches. I brought in the wrong people. And now we look at Jimmy Lake at Washington. And I think initially you go, okay, He's supposed to be a pretty good recruiter. He's a pretty good defensive coordinator. Let's see. He's been able to stop Mike Leach. He's been very creative with that. Let's see what he can do. I'm interested. I'm intrigued. His offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator are gone. His first two hires are real head scratchers. And suddenly you're wondering if Jimmy Lake really has the longevity to be the guy in Seattle. I don't think there's any other way to put it. Particularly when the state of Washington was so incredibly loaded with talent. Within like 40 miles of campus, the number one overall recruit in the nation, the number one wide receiver in the nation, who might be one of the best two or three receivers of the last decade to come out of high school, and the number one quarterback in the nation all lived within 40 miles of your campus. 
the quarterback has a dad who played there. He's a legacy. And his dad worked with Washington and I believe still works with Washington. So he was a land. He was a guarantee. And you didn't even really have a shot at JT to him allowing Emeka Ibuka. Emeka Ibuka, the number one receiver in the nation, heads to Ohio State. Washington was never close. JT to him allow can say whatever he wants about Washington being among his schools. Washington's not close. If he stay, if JT to him allow stays in the Pac-12, it won't be Washington. They're not close. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Mario Cristobal in a year had within a 40 mile radius of the, of the University of Oregon, if he had the number one quarterback, number one overall player and number one receiver in the country, can you imagine what he would do? And can you imagine what you would do as a fan if he only got one of those? I mean, look what Oregon fan did with Mark Elfridge. You know, I, I knew the kids well. And in fact, that was when I knew the kids probably as, as well as I possibly could. When I first got the beat uh, covering recruiting at the Oregonian, I just started going to every camp I could. I went to practices for seven on seven. And I saw Brady Breeze and Sam Neuer and Elijah Molden and Chase Coda and Talanoa Hafunga and Marlon Tui Pelotu. Uh, I saw all those kids all the time at different camps. David Morris, uh, just a ton of kids. Anthony Adams, who's an All-American at the FCS level. Samori Torrey, who's an All-American at the FCS level and just went to Nebraska. I went and watched those kids practice 15 times against each other. Rep after rep after rep. I, I knew the kids. I knew their families. I knew what was going on at a very deep level. And unfortunately, I don't get to do that right now because of COVID. And I will get back to it. But I knew that group. And so I wrote in the spring before they all committed that Mark Helfrich was a bad recruiter and he was about to lose a historic class. A historic class. People went, who cares? It's Oregon talent. And I said, this is a great group. And Helfrich and his staff flat out can't recruit. The kids aren't interested in what he has to say because he's not interesting. He's not really even trying. He's not even really trying. And I took a ton, a ton of heat for saying Mark Helfrich couldn't recruit. I took heat from other recruiting analysts. It was, Helfrich is fine. Nimick's fairly new on the beat. He has no idea what he's talking about. He's trying to make a splash for page views. I was going, you guys, I think I know this. And I definitely know these kids as well as anybody else in the state. Mark Helfrich cannot recruit. And I took heat and took heat and took heat and took heat. And now that's the accepted thing. Imagine if Oregon would have gotten those guys. Imagine if on top of Thomas Graham and Javon Hall and Brady Breeze, Oregon also had Talanoa Hafunga, a first-team All-American, and Elijah Molden, who might be a first-round NFL draft pick. Imagine if on top of Kayvon Thibodeau, you had Ozigi Zua, who just led the Senior Bowl in pressures. Now, he obviously went to uh, UCLA and, uh, I think UCLA, gosh, now I'm blanking. Uh, but he, he went to David Douglas High School. And then uh, you had... Marlon Tuipelotu, obviously a defensive tackle who goes to USC. Imagine if you have those guys in the fold. Imagine if those guys are on this roster with this, the talent Oregon got from California. That's who Oregon would have had. That's who Oregon's era would have been. An Oregon fan basically said Helfrich is done after that. Helfrich called the Oregon-USC Pac-12 title game. And they said, how come you didn't get this guy? And he said, well, that's why I'm up here and not coaching. So imagine the heat Jimmy Lake is taking for not even really having a shot at the number one recruit in the nation and the number one wide receiver in the nation when they're right on campus. Brutal. Jimmy Lake's got to get it figured out. Bad coordinator hires, not recruiting his state well. It's not a good start for Jimmy Lake. Flat out. Not a good start. I want to get to Oregon State, but before that, here's a word from our sponsor.
Not a lot of noise right now for the Oregon State Beavers leading into the traditional signing period. They obviously already have the smallest class in program history because they wanted to balance it with the transfer portal. And I've said, let's be fair to them. Let's not give them a bad grade because they're not in the top 100 in the high school recruiting rankings because they got a lot of talent via the transfer portal. But during this transition from the early signing period to the late signing period, they really haven't added anybody either. And And I don't necessarily think that's a huge knock because the reality is they don't have a ton of scholarships left. They went to the transfer portal, got some really talented players. They've got a core group of eight, nine, 10 commitments at the high school level. They feel really good about. And I think that's a that's progress. Is it huge progress? No, I've said that a lot of times. It's not an A, it's not an F. It's probably a C plus, B minus. It's improvement. You probably can't win a Pac-12 title with this type of recruiting effort. You probably can't consistently make a bowl game with this type of recruiting effort. But compared to what you were doing, this is progress. For the last three years, Oregon State has not gotten a single top 500 high school football prospect prior to this recruiting cycle. In this recruiting cycle, they got two. That's progress. Demir Collins, Easton Mascarenas, a running back and a middle linebacker. I like those pieces. Those are really nice pieces. The transfer portal pieces they've got are potentially plug and play. Probably two or three of them are going to start right away. Not a lot to watch. Now, Oregon State has certainly reached out to almost every offense, I imagine, <laughs> at least all the ones I can, I can find, the offensive and defensive linemen who are committed and didn't sign. And Oregon State is sniffing around trying to see if they can pull one of those guys and, and land them. And I think the most interesting name right now is Jason White. Jason White elected not to sign during the early signing period. He's a Boise State commit. He would be, if he were to flip to to Oregon State. He would be the number three commit in this class. He didn't sign. It's a battle seemingly between uh, Oregon State and Boise State down at the end. He is right around that 750 ranking, which over the last three years, that's roughly uh, the class headliner. And no, that shouldn't be, but it gives you an idea how good this kid is. He'd be one of the best offensive line commitments they've gotten in the last five or six years. He's the real name to watch. And he could potentially, and he does. He hasn't set a commitment date, he could just quietly sign with Boise State. He could just quietly sign with Oregon State, and none of that would surprise me. Or he could not sign and wait and just show up on campus. He has kept things very, very close to the vest. But it has been reported by more than just me in the last few weeks, uh, in the last few months, that he's a guy that Oregon State is targeting. So it will be interesting to see if they can pull that off. In general, a solid recruiting class for Jonathan Smith. Oregon State's recruiting is never going to be where Oregon's is. It's never going to be top 10 in the nation. It's never going to be where USC is, where they can kind of rest on just getting the guys in their own backyard and and get a couple guys nationally and still have a top 15 class in the nation. They can't do that. They have to recruit the entire region. And when there's not a lot of offensive and defensive linemen in your region, you have to have a national footprint to do a good job recruiting offensive and defensive linemen. And they don't right now. And so because of that, they suffer along the offensive line and the defensive line. In the class of 2021, Oregon State offered 11 offensive tackles and four offensive guards. They landed zero offensive tackles. They landed one of the four guards, the lowest rated of the four guards. And he actually projects at center at the college level, Henry Buckles, who might be a sleeper. He might be a really nice piece, but he's a center. So of the guys they offered that truly could play tackle or guard, they went over for the entire recruiting cycle. I've talked about this time and time again. It's hard to recruit offensive linemen anyway in the West region. Oregon State really struggles with it. They need to get better, flat out. You get a guy like Jason White, and that solves it. It doesn't immediately solve it forever, 
But in terms of this year, you go, okay, that wasn't, that wasn't a weakness for you guys because you landed a big name. And I think if you're Oregon State and you get Jason White say, hey, we, we went out and got a really good player. And White has offers from the majority of the Pac-12. He chose Boise State because he was really comfortable with Coach Harrison. Harrison left for Auburn, thus him choosing not to sign. But it's a good group, and Oregon State did a pretty nice job. They also have really, really attacked the preferred walk-on market. And I always call those free additions because they don't count against your scholarship limit. They potentially, you get a free look at them because you're not paying for their, you know, they're not counters. They're not paying for them among your 85 scholarships. And you get a chance to see, and if you get one that kind of pops, you get a free guy that then you put on scholarship and ends up being a great player for you. Jaden Grant did a phenomenal job. The former Westland corner and guard uh, for the basketball program, he went to Oregon State, did a great job and has earned playing time. Katana Oladipo, Central Catholic uh, line, outside linebacker safety, goes to, goes to Oregon State, has success, and is playing. They've done a pretty good job of identifying preferred walk-on talent, and I think they did again this year. They got this week Carter Newman, the Sheldon tight end. I really like Carter Newman. They've already got Luke Musgrave and Tegan Quatoriano, I think two of the better players on the entire team in terms of draft status. But... Carter Newman's much younger and has a chance to potentially break out and and be a player. Tyson Thomas, the former Lake Ridge athlete, went down and played in Texas, played well in Texas, picks up a preferred walk-on offer from Oregon State and goes ahead and commits. Zach Holmes might be the best high school center in the, well, I don't know if the West Coast, certainly in the state of Oregon. I really, really like Zach Holmes out of West Lynn. He commits as a preferred walk-on. Doesn't have ideal measurements, but man, he's a good football player. He's a really, really good football player. He commits. So there's maybe an interesting shot in an interior lineman. And then Jeremiah Noga, uh, the favorite target, at least in his class, because his brother is also on the team, uh, of Sam Vidlak, their quarterback commit. Oregon State got Sam Vidlak from Hidden Valley High School. That was their scholarship quarterback. They went and get Jeremiah Noga, who is his primary receiver, again, from his class, because his little brother, Nate, is also a receiver on the team. and, And I don't necessarily want to pit Nate and Jeremiah against each other in terms of who's Sam's favorite. But to bring him in, he's a talented player. I believe he's a three-star prospect. Uh, Oregon State done a pretty good job here in these last few weeks of adding two and three-star players that maybe two, three years ago were scholarship guys. And instead, they're walk-ons. And that's pretty valuable. So it'll be interesting to see if any of those guys earn playing time. I do think... Coach Smith deserves some credit for being creative in the way he's adding talent. They're not just going to traditionally do it by four-star, five-star across the front and beating you. That's not the way it's going to go. They're going to have to get some talent from the transfer portal. They're going to have to get some high school talent. They're going to have to get some JC talent. They're going to have to have a few walk-ons, preferred walk-ons pop and be special. They're going to have to do it a number of ways. And so far, it looks like they've been up to the task in this recruiting class. Again, don't think this wins a Pac-12 title, but I also don't think when you look at it and say last in the Pac-12 and outside the top 100 in the recruiting class that you say, man, Coach Smith really needs to figure it out. I, I, it's somewhere in between. It was progress over the last couple of years, but Oregon State needs to continue to make progress if they want to be a bowl team. Not a lot of excitement expected during the late signing period for Oregon State. They just don't have very many scholarships and they're only looking at a couple of guys who as of right now don't have commitment dates set. So there's nothing to really absolutely watch. Thank you for listening to the Recruiting Trail. 
appreciate you. This is going to be a lot of fun here this last week. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review for me, please. This is, a, you know, it's a recruiting show. So I feel like when we talk about four and five stars all the time, maybe, maybe it makes sense. Maybe there's something to leaving a five-star review for me. I really appreciate it. If you could borrow, I don't say steal, I don't condone stealing. If you could borrow your wife's phone, your husband's phone, your children's phone, subscribe to the podcast, give it a five-star review. Subscriptions really help us out. It lets us know people are tuning in and listening. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Recruiting Trail.